You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy Podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. The Future of Pharmacy Podcast is brought to you by OmniCell. Now here's our host, Ken Perez. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ken Perez. Today, we're going to talk all things 340B, and I promise you this show will appeal not just to government policy geeks, but nearly everyone in a pharmacy leadership position. That's because the 340B drug pricing program continues to prove itself as a vital source of billions of dollars of funding for much-needed patient care. At the same time, aspects of the program are facing significant challenges that threaten the very foundation of the program and our safety net providers. To sort out the legal, policy, and financial aspects, we're very fortunate to have Ted Slavsky with us today. As you may know, Ted is the publisher and chief executive officer of 340B Report, as well as founder and principal of healthcare consulting firm Wexford Solutions, and a veteran Capital Beltway leader. Prior to his current positions, he was the longtime CEO of 340B Health, the trade group for 340B Hospitals. So he is the definitive insider on the 340B program. Ted, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Ken. I look forward to the conversation. Thank you. Well, maybe a good place to start, Ted, is to reacquaint our audience with the 340B program and its key benefits. Sure. The program started in 1992, established by Congress with a strong bipartisan majority. It is intended to help healthcare providers that serve a large number of low-income patients to be able to access lower prices on pharmaceuticals so that they can stretch scarce resources in their mission to provide care to all patients, regardless of ability to pay. It's an incredibly important program, one that has grown over the years, and there are a number of different types of entities that qualify for 340B. It's become a really, really important part of not just patient care, but financial savings for cash-strapped hospitals, as well as other entities that serve our nation's most vulnerable patients. You mentioned these entities, these are the covered entities, of course, and you're referring to these six categories of hospitals, the disproportionate share hospitals or dishes, children's hospitals and cancer hospitals exempt from the Medicare perspective payment system, sole community hospitals, rural referral centers, and critical access hospitals, right? That category? That's right. Those are the hospitals that are in the program. There are also some other parts of the safety net that participate in the program, including community health centers, Ryan White clinics, and other providers that really have a mission to provide care to uh, vulnerable and low-income populations. This program has a lot of complexity. And so as publisher of 340B Report, what are you hearing from your readers? What are they worried about? That's a great question. We do get comments from our readers and we hear a lot from them. And I would say that they probably would go into three main categories. One concern is about reimbursement cuts. And uh, that's been a real challenge for the entities that participate in 340B. And those are both cuts from your typical government payers like Medicare and Medicaid but also cuts from private payers. I'd say the second category, one that I'm getting a lot of feedback from the pharmaceutical industry is concern 
about situations where they have to provide a discount, not only upfront to the 340B provider, but also then provide a rebate to the Medicaid program on the back end. And I'd say the issue that is getting the most attention from our readers is certainly the ongoing battle over the use of 340B discounts in the contract pharmacy space. That's very helpful. Let's break down each of these issues that you've outlined for us, for our audience, some of which you've written about in the Omnicell blog. So first, let's talk about the persistent complaint that the benefit of the program is being transferred from safety net hospitals, health centers, and clinics to private payers. Is this really happening? And how is that possible? And how much money are we talking about? Right. Well, it's it's a growing trend, actually, Ken. Over the last decade or so, we've seen a number of PBMs and other commercial payers and insurance companies ratchet down reimbursement for the pharmacies that participate in the 340B program. The reason they're able to do that is it's pretty easy to identify which of the providers participate in 340B and which don't. And as a result, a lot of the savings from the 340B program is then being transferred over to insurers rather than helping out these healthcare providers in their mission to expand access to care and improve patient outcomes. It's been such a big issue that actually over a dozen states have recently passed legislation that prohibits PBMs and other payers, particularly in the commercial side, from discriminating against 340B pharmacies. Basically, what it means is they can't reduce reimbursement solely towards the 340B providers. It can't be done just because these providers are getting a lower price on drugs. There's also an effort in the federal level that I'm sure we'll talk about that would try to codify this on a national basis. Well, that's good to hear that some positive moves are being made there. So let's turn to the duplicate discount problem. How prevalent is it and what kinds of problems does it create for these covered entities? The duplicate discount problem, just to explain it to the layman, is basically the 340B program, the Medicaid program, they interact with each other. There's a drug discount program that was enacted in 1990 called the Medicaid Rebate Program. And then in 1992, the 340B program was created. And they use the same discount formula. So there are instances where a manufacturer ends up having to provide a discount upfront to the provider. And then once again, the manufacturer has to provide a discount on the back end to the state government. This is certainly something that I hear a lot of complaints about from the pharmaceutical industry. There is a debate as to how big the scope of the problem. I would say the providers would argue it's not as big a deal and the manufacturers think it's a big financial hit to them. So that's something that's getting a lot of attention. And there are a lot of discussions about how to address that issue. And how about legislation? Isn't there, I believe there's an act called the Protect 340B Act. Yes, there, there is. There was recently bipartisan legislation introduced. It's H.R. 4390. It's a bill that was introduced by Abigail Spanberger from Virginia. She's a Democrat, as well as David McKinley, a Republican from West Virginia. And the effort is to try to address this issue of discrimination on a national basis. The, the legislation in the states is certainly helpful, but not all of the laws are the same. And it would be helpful to have uniformity. And also, there are certain uh, stronger elements that you can get through 
federal legislation and more protection than you would get through just state legislation. That bill seems to be a common sense solution and it enjoys, as you mentioned, bipartisan support. So what's the pushback on the Protect 340B Act and where is that pushback coming from? I would say that so far it's gotten a lot of good support from both Democrats and Republicans. The pharmaceutical industry has not endorsed it. While they're generally not opposed to efforts to basically enforce the PBM industry, and they have not really opposed the efforts at the state level, their concern is twofold. One is that it also applies to contract pharmacies, and their argument is that the contract pharmacy program is not a requirement, and they don't want to do anything that would reinforce the contract pharmacy program. There's also some question as to another element of the bill, which would allow for a national clearinghouse to basically try to figure out situations where there is a duplicate discount. Under this new bill, this would be done by an outside party chosen by the government. The pharmaceutical industry has their own vendors who do this. The providers are very reluctant to provide their claims data for their patients to the industry's vendors. So we're a little bit of a stalemate, but I do think that there's going to be strong support for this bill. And I do think addressing the duplicate discount problem through a neutral party is really the way to go. So, Ted, you know, there's a lot of attention in Washington that's being placed on the infrastructure bills, the pandemic, Afghanistan and hurricanes and all kinds of challenges. How optimistic are you that these issues about 340B are going to gain the attention of, of lawmakers? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question, Ken. You are right. The lawmakers are distracted with all of these huge issues upon them. But I do think that the 340B program resonates with the lawmakers because they're hearing a lot from grassroots constituency about these issues. So I feel pretty confident that these matters will get a lot of attention from Capitol Hill, whether a bill passes to protect 340B providers on a national level when it comes to reimbursement. That's an open question, but it's the first time that it's been addressed on a national basis. And I also expect that there's a good chance that Congress is perhaps going to need to intervene in the current stalemate on contract pharmacy. There's only so long a covered entity can go before they have to start closing more clinics and really hurting patient care. So I expect that may need to be addressed by lawmakers and sometime certainly before next November when we have our midterm elections. You're listening to the Future Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Perez, joined today by Ted Slavsky, publisher and chief executive officer of 340B Report. Also, a reminder to our audience, be sure to register for Illuminate, OmniCell's three-day virtual education event. Illuminate features leaders like Ted sharing strategies on leveraging pharmacy programs, technology, and best practices to improve outcomes. Illuminate is scheduled for October 5, 6, and 7. OmniCell Illuminate is 100% virtual and 100% free. Register today at omnicell-illuminate.com. Now, back to our program. Ted, it seems to me the biggest threats to covered entities are the lawsuits filed by some drug manufacturers against the use of contract pharmacies. It's all so very complex. Can you untangle this for our audience? Sure. It's the biggest issue going on in the 340B program. And I would say the biggest crisis in the 340B program since its inception. The program has worked well for 30 years and it's worked a certain way. 
Um, and that, and part, a big element of that is the use of uh, contract pharmacies, basically partnerships with community pharmacies, because it will make it easier for patients to access their prescriptions closer to home. Um, this is a concept that was uh, established in 1996, and then it was contemplated in the Affordable Care Act of 2010, but it was expanded by HRSA through federal guidance in 2010. And it's become a really important element of the 340B program. First of all, it allows patients to get their medicines from their community pharmacies. Often there are transportation challenges to get to the hospital or to the clinic where you originally saw your doctor. It's just so much easier to get it closer to home. And it's become an important element, not only for patient care, but also the financial savings from this has been very significant, resulting in additional money that hospitals and other providers can use in their patient mission. The pharmaceutical industry believes that the scope of the program has just expanded too much. They believe that there should not be multiple use of contract pharmacies. That would be instances where covered entities are developing relationships with large chains as well as independent mom and pop stores, they would say that there are just too many relationships, too many contract pharmacies that are getting access to 340B pricing. And there's a real debate going on right now in Washington over that. The pharmaceutical industry, starting with Eli Lilly, basically said, we're going to stop providing these discounts to the contract pharmacies. And this has been a big hit for the providers in the 340B program. And the government has cracked down on this effort by the pharmaceutical industry, sending demand letters telling the drug companies that they're violating the law. The drug industry believes that they are not violating the law, and they are now suing the government and challenging the legality of the contract pharmacy program. So given all this um, squabble, if you will, or this, there's uncertainty about the use of contract pharmacies, what are you hearing about regarding this from the covered entities? Uh, how are they changing their purchasing decisions or their relationships with contract pharmacies? Well, it's becoming a real problem for these hospitals and other entities that rely on their relationships with contract pharmacies. For instance, a rural hospital in Kansas had to close their emergency room, which of course is devastating for rural communities. There's also a hospital in Illinois uh, that has had to switch their patients to lower quality insulin and supplies. And this is a real problem for patients and it's causing tremendous frustration for healthcare providers and vulnerable patients who rely on expensive diabetes medication. As for ways to save money, I'd say one of the ways that the covered entities are trying to save money is to build up their in-house pharmacy capabilities because these rules, the drug companies are not arguing that you can't have a pharmacy on campus. They're just arguing you can't partner with pharmacies throughout the neighborhoods. So there's a lot of effort both to build up your in-house pharmacy, but also your specialty pharmacy uh, program because there's a lot of savings available and improvements in patient care when it's done from the actual facility rather than working with others. That's the argument. So there's also the matter of the administrative dispute resolution or ADR process. So could you talk about that and where you think it may be headed? Sure. The administrative dispute resolution process 
is something that we've been waiting for for over a decade. It was that was part of the Affordable Care Act that basically was trying to come up with a mechanism to resolve disputes between healthcare providers in the 340B program and pharmaceutical manufacturers. An example would be if a covered entity believed they were overcharged for a drug, they could turn to this, basically it's like a commission to oversee these complaints and determine whether the provider or pharmaceutical manufacturer was right. It got delayed many times and it's finally implemented. And um, Secretary Becerra recently appointed a number of panelists and it's very likely to be used in disputes over issues such as potential overcharges, as well as an argument by a pharmaceutical manufacturer that there perhaps was diversion where a healthcare provider was using the discounted drugs for a patient who's not eligible for the program. So it's just getting off the ground. I think it's going to be welcomed. And I think it's nice to have a group within the government who can make those decisions. I don't expect it to play a key role in the contract pharmacy standoff. That is such a big issue, and it's being debated by the courts and could also involve Congress. I, I suspect that decision will be ultimately decided through the legal and congressional system. That's great insight, Ted. Thank you. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank our special guest, Ted Slavsky, publisher and chief executive officer of 340B Report, for sharing his insider's knowledge with us today. And I'd like to thank you, our listening audience. Be sure to save the dates of October 5, 6, and 7 for OmniCell Illuminate 2021, the biggest digital event for inspired medication management. Join us for three days of continuing education, insights, demos, and more, all focused on transforming your medication management strategy. OmniCell Illuminate is 100% virtual and 100% free. Register today at omnicell-illuminate.com. For the Future of Pharmacy podcast and for OmniCell, I'm Ken Perez. Thanks for listening. This has been the Future of Pharmacy podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. Until next time, don't get stuck in the clouds. The Future of Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by OmniCell. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.